Ready, Dave? Paging Mr. Saxophone. Hey. <laughs> there he is. Hey, here I am. It's Mr. Saxophone. So, hey, I'm Jordan. Hey, I'm Dave. And this is Don't Let's Start. I forgot for a second. This is Don't Let's yeah. Start, a podcast about They Might Be Giants. Um, it's been a few weeks, and you'll see why, because we've been working very hard on, on a few special episodes, and this is but the first of them. Mm-hmm. So uh, at the end of the last episode, we had said... We found out who the real killer was. We had said we were going to cover miscellaneous tea next. However... Uh, this is, that's like a half-truth. So what happened was... A dirty half-truth. <laughs> it was the dirty, Dave was being a dirty boy. Um, we... It's true. <laughs> so while going through the miscellaneous tea songs, I said, well, a big one that I have a lot of questions about is the World's Address remix by Joshua Freed. So I sent Joshua Freed an email. I, uh, my goal for this was that maybe we'd talk to him and get a few little sound bites that I could sprinkle into the miscellaneous tea episode right. that very quickly became uh, not realistic as I realized we're just having a full-fledged interview. Like, we're just talking to him, and it's like a whole long, interesting interview about music and about They Might right. Be Giants. So this is the first... Don't let's start a podcast about They Might Be Giants uh, interview special. Yeah. And not just that, but it's part one because this was a very long conversation. We covered yes. we covered everything, really. Mr. Um, Joshua Freed was very generous uh, with his time and information. We were there for five hours. Yeah, it was five hours. And we're actually best friends now. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, in fact, he's right here. No. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, before we get into the interview, which I really, I think you guys will enjoy. It's so weird. This is weird for the podcast. Yeah, I'm like, I think not so used too. to this. Yeah. It was um, definitely new, new ground. And I hope it's uh, one of just many interviews because it's a very different animal doing the interview. And I, yeah, it's ex like exercising a different muscle. And it was really fun. It was. Yeah. It was a little like more, more, a little less about your, my, ourselves. <laughs> right. So I, I, before we get into that, I just wanted to break down what we talk about so that you guys have a little bit of context, because as me and Dave are not, not yet professional interviewers, maybe not ever, uh, we, we sort of just kind of breeze through a few things, at least in my estimation. So Joshua Freed did the World's Address remix, which is on Miscellaneous Tea, which is their B-side uh, compilation from 1991. So you got that? Okay. So the World's Address remix is really interesting, partly because it's not just a remix. It has a lot of uh, strange and, and intriguing new material from yeah. John Linnell and John Flansburg. It's kind of a new song. Yeah, I'd, I'd sort of always considered it an, uh, an original song. It's almost a like a sequel to the song. Yeah, exactly. Joshua Freed did that. And then later on, he did other stuff with the band. So this is what we're going to talk about. We talk about his early years getting into music. Right, Dave? Right. <laughs> Correct. We we talk about Watchface. Now, Jordan, mm. can you tell me what Watchface is? Yeah. So, so that you guys understand what what this is about and why it's significant and worth listening to as a They Might Be Giants fan. Watchface was this '80s performance art theatrical collective that put on a bunch of interesting shows, many many shows uh, throughout the '80s, and they often opened for They Might Be Giants. But not just that. 
John Flansburg performed with them at a few right. times, and John Linnell and Flansburg wrote songs for them, right. which you will hear all about uh, in a bit. So Joshua Freed provided a lot of music for Watchface, and Watchface was led by Iris Rose. And we learn a lot about, you know, we learn yeah. a lot about Watchface, about her, about some of the shows that he did with her. So, so that's, that's that topic. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting to learn about because you, we get a lot of information about the early days and some of their earliest collaborations and who their friends were and what the scene was like. Yeah. What that New York city, uh, weird scene was like, I meant to ask him about Steve Buscemi because I know, oh, I know Steve Bus- Bus- right. Buscemi was a uh, part of that. I, I, was, I pronounce his Buscemi. Yeah. <laughs> I made a mental note while he was talking to us. I was like, Oh yeah. Ask about that, and then we moved on to There's a different too topic. Much. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like they're, you know, they've mentioned their art fuck background <laughs> uh, on in venue songs, and this is exactly what they're talking about. I think uh, just the performance art scene in the '80s and how they would they would do shows at these scenes, but and, and their shows would be like rock shows. But it kind of in, informed why their early shows were were maybe weirder and more prop based and strange than than their later shows turned out to be. So we talk about that. Around that time, Joshua Freed put out a split single with They Might Be Giants, a vinyl single that came with a magazine. And we talk about that. And then we get into the world's address and we talk about that for a while. We go, we, we really, we really unpack that. Yeah. <laughs> we really technically unpack that remix and what went into it and all the different parts. And then we talk about well, the end of, of this part one is we, we go into Larger Than Life, which some fans might not know. That is a She's Actual Size remix that appeared on the I Palindrome High CD single, which is sort of rare because I was looking for it in the late 90s and I couldn't find it anywhere, but I did eventually find one. But so Joshua Free did a really interesting, really unexpected remix. And it was kind of a him d- going back into that uh, mode with They Might Be Giants. And then we will be back at the end of this to tell you what's coming up in part two. If you want to learn more about Joshua Freed, his current project is Radio Wonderland. We'll tell you more about that later also. And he talks all about that in part two as well. Dave, are you ready to listen to this interview? I'm ready. So without further ado, here is part one of our interview with Joshua Freed. Joshua Freed, 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 Freed. Freed. I'm doing like a Joshua Freedish uh, remix thing. Nice. Anyway. And here we go. Freed. (laughs) I think the first question should be about your meticulous note taking. Yeah, I think that's really you're, interesting. You're out. You're you're recorded right now. If you want to talk about your <laughs> your system, the notes here. It's it's pretty. Well, I I discovered that for my kind of music, I need regular note paper more than I need music manuscript paper. Uh huh. In fact, I need music manuscript paper so seldom. I do such short scraps that I need to notate, I will just draw five lines and like quickly, or if it's just a rhythm, I'll draw one line and notate the rhythm. Okay, this is me (laughs) flipping through a small notebook. Oh, wait a minute, this has TMBG. Mm. We got it, folks. Uh, 53 (laughs) bars equals 212 times 480 ticks. See, this is why I don't read music. Yeah. (laughs) This is it. These are the notes, but it's all just... Super absurdly technical. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I'm planning the different sections of it, but a oh, lot man. of it wow. is just notes that have to do with numbers re- regarding the synchronization of the tape to the MIDI sequencing. 
So anyway, a lot of the notes in this are <laughs> pertaining to the 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 synchronization of the mm -hmm. the the, the multi-track that I got from them with the sure. with the MIDI sequence. Well, I wanted to ask, so like, how did you just get started in just music and sound and all that you know all that stuff? Like, when do you like when was some of the first times that you like experimented with that stuff or? Well, my dad's a composer. Oh, really? He did music for, for movies and TV for many, many years. His, He's still alive. He's working on Gerald Freed. Gerald Freed, okay. He did uh, Stanley Kubrick's first five movies. Oh, my God. Including Whoa. The Killing and Paths of Glory. Those are my favorite movies. They're great movies. They have my dad's music. I just yeah. saw... That's I just saw... Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I just saw Killer's Kiss at a screening at IFC Theater. Really? Ago, yeah. Really? That, to me, that's one of the ones where it's really on the edge. Like, he's learning. He didn't come up through yeah. the Hollywood system. They, they're both from the Bronx, and they were... Mm. They didn't go to the same high school, but they hung out wow. with the same people. Wow. Oh, my God. And so when Stanley first did movies, like, well, Jerry, you, can you do the music? Yeah, and they went to a lot, a lot of movies together and talked about them. And we and saw stuff. Pads of Glory too. Me and my girlfriend, we went to yeah. IFC and see that. It was my yeah. second time seeing it and her first. And I'm always like in, crying like crazy. At the I told of your girlfriend, I was like, "Remember, before you see it, you're gonna be crying." Yeah, and she did. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's oh my god. I was bawling during that movie. Yeah, not at the execution, but at the coda, right? The, the yeah, in the bar, in the with the song and the yeah. and that's like I mean, I was crying the whole time. But that, I love I'm the ending. Of, I love the ending of that. I mean, spoilers for anyone <laughs> who is listening. But just the, the the ending of that movie really emphasizes like the how like the power of art and music kind of yeah winning over the kind of more base impulses of like tribalism and violence and stuff. It's like everyone's just listening to this one song, and it's kind of taking back the the moment. You know what I do? You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Sense? I agree. Sure. It's like it's like moving everyone in that room, even though they were all hollering at her two minutes earlier. Right. So my dad sort of musically yeah. directed that sequence. He organized the entrances oh of God. the men, apparently, and he went to wow. Germany. My dad yeah, hasn't traveled a lot. Oh, man. Yeah, wow. yeah, a lot of good stories. That is so freaking interesting. I did not know that. So I grew up in a musical household, and he was mm -hmm. he was very much into jazz and folk music. And he had a tape recorder, a reel-to-reel, -reel, and when I was like nine or ten or something, I did some very labor-intensive, like twelve-minute sound collagey thing using the 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 kind of overdubbing you could do on this stereo reel-to-reel -reel tape deck was to record in stereo and then record in mono, erasing one of the tracks. I think that would that's the way I could do mm -hmm. mixing. So I would do a yeah. transition where one track would come in in mono and then it would be in stereo or something like that, the left and then left plus right. That was yeah. the only kind of mixing that could be done. But I spent much time on it. And I, there, must, there was a tape output of our phonograph because I would take things off of our phonograph and put them into this tape. And then we had microphones and I would record my voice and sang little things and I played a little <laughs> song and I had these little sketches. Oh, that's, that's cute. And then I played yeah. drums. Oh, really? From like, uh, uh, I don't know, also age like eight or nine or yeah, 10 or something. Ask. And I did play in the high school. I played in the grade school orchestra. Mm -hmm. And I played in the high school orchestra. Drum? Percussion? Percussion, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. And I played on a drum kit, but I didn't really join any rock bands. Mostly, I think, because I just was sort of socially inept. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember in grade school, there was like for the Christmas show, some other guy was going to play drums. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I was kind of mad that it wasn't me because obviously I was a better drummer, but I guess a lot of people didn't I relate know. to those, those feelings. <laughs> then he had a fight with the other people. He's a much more popular guy than I was. And he had some sort of spat with the other people in the Christmas show. And then suddenly he showed up at school with his arm bandaged. He got hurt and he couldn't drum. Oh, wow. So they were like, Josh Freed, can you do it? <laughs> and I think he came over to my house or something to like check me out or something like that. And then, okay, so I was going to be the jumper for the Christmas show. But it turns out he was only faking it as part of the spat with the other popular kids and the, and the faculty. Did, I is guess. it like a lawyer put him up to it or something? <laughs> no, I don't think, I think it was just kids. So yeah. then I was out again. Wow. Um, but, and then after high school, I went to, I went to college, I went to Cornell, finally resigned to the fact that I knew I didn't have what it took to be a musician because to be a musician, you had to be a virtuoso at some instrument Yeah. or maybe you could squeak by being a conductor, but I didn't have that. I wasn't practicing eight hours a day, anything anymore. I, I mean, I was a good drummer mm -hmm. um, and that was okay. I was going to be a writer or something or yeah. I don't know, I'm a smart guy. It's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> and then in school, the punk rock revolution happened. I got into marijuana. I got into dub reggae, discovered Brian Eno. Okay. <laughs> and I started hanging out with a guy who had a key to the electronics music studio at Cornell. And we used to meet there and fool around. And I also moved into a house where in the basement there was a guy who had a four-track reel-to-reel. Yeah. And it was his equipment, but I kind of took over. Yeah, sure. And I was messing around with multi-track recording on a four-track, just four-track reel-to-reel. And there was a local band called Better Music Through Science, a Cornell band. And they were, one of the, they were one of the first local bands to say, yes, we are affiliated with this new wave thing. Sure. <laughs> um, and I was sort of like their off, uh, off stage, like Eno character. And there's another guy who's sort of like their <laughs> Fripp, but I, wasn't, I was not in the band. Mm -hmm. And I made some tape collage for them. Yeah. And I learned a lot doing that. Oh, and then one of the guys in the band said, when I was talking about making something repeat, he said, why don't you just make a tape loop? And so I made this tape loop, but it was a multi-channel tape loop. And as I mixed it, I realized this is like dub reggae. <laughs> and I was completely mesmerized. Uh -huh. And I would just get stoned and play this four-channel loop, <laughs> mixing the four channels up and down and in and out for hours. Yeah. And then the finished composition would be me doing a mix for the entire 45-minute side of a C90 cassette. And I made this one sort of mesmerizing little Muzaki tape loop piece called Ramp Signal. Okay. And it was really simplistic and kind of dorky and silly. And I had my voice and a little percussion and a little keyboard part that the, another guy who lived in the, the guy whose studio it was played that keyboard part. And my realization of it was this, as I said, mixing in and out the different channels. So you'd yeah. hear only the percussion, looping the two bars, and then the keyboard would fade in. It was like Jamaican dub reggae techniques applied to a repetitive uh, substrate that wasn't reggae, but it was this other thing. Yeah, something that I kind of took from listening to a lot of your stuff all week is like, it seemed like, do you get like a thrill out of when it kind of almost becomes like a mind of its own, like from the from the grabbing stuff off the radio and the sampling and 
it's almost like you're not in control anymore, or do you see it like you're super in control and you're crafting this thing? That spirit of experimentation and, and not knowing yeah. is definitely in there. Like, as opposed to, like, getting out your the music staff and writing, this is the note that's going to happen at this time. Sure, yeah. Leaving it more up to, like, whatever crazy things happen with the effects. Like, like when I make a demo, if I'm like, it needs something here, but I don't know what, I'll just scroll through effects yeah, and see right. what happens. Yeah, yeah. And then it is almost like I can't even really take credit for what's happening. because it's Oh, yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> or then sometimes then I'll take that track, bounce it down, and then reverse it, and then put it, you know what I mean? Yeah, put sure. it in one ear and then put the reverse one in the other ear, and then it makes the whole Yeah. So Yeah, it's more, more like that kind of process, working with actual sounds rather than compositional ideas. But I do have a, a somewhat of a history of writing chamber music and writing notated oh, that's, stuff. I've done that's really some of that. And it's wow. a, such a relief to do that because when you don't have, when, when you're not responsible for the final sound and the actual performance, it's great. Oh, really? So much fun. Yeah, I mean, I have... So someone else takes what you... Well, yeah, I wrote a piece for robotic guitar and the guitar plays it. And I wrote yeah, a piece for voice and piano and cello and uh, soprano. And so they play it. Wow. And I had I have some ideas that are really are notational, mm -hmm. but Radio Wonderland and my early stuff and doing remixing, it's all based on the actual sound. Yeah, I guess what I was getting at was like that lack of control, like it, it kind of runs away from you sometimes. But I don't know, I don't know exactly your process for making the Radio Wonderland stuff. So I don't know if because uh, I watched some videos, so it seems like you can't plan what's on the radio. Is what right? I mean. Exactly. So that's sort of what I mean. Is that it's not it's it's like. A percentage of it is you're in control, but a percentage of it is you're not in control. And to me, that sounds exciting. As oh yeah, no, it's it's really exciting. Okay. Yeah, and it's clear, and it's it's clear, it's really. I try to make it patently obvious with Radio Wonderland. Yeah. Of course, this could not be planned because it really is live it's radio. Like, it's like a collaboration with like whatever's out there, like this thing that's yes. just sort of we don't even know. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I really well, was. I was gonna ask because based on. Your your influences growing up, it sounded like you were always doing this uh, these mixes, these collages, and when you do the the Radio Wonderland stuff, it's stuff that's that's being filtered in through you. Where did that uh, I guess style of working come about? Can you pinpoint any moment where that started instead of just doing you know straight songs? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was doing this tape loop oriented stuff, the multi channel tape loop stuff, and doing it in clubs and realized fairly early on, oh, this should be danceable. Yeah. Although when someone <laughs> yeah. first suggested to me and my musical partner at the time, the guy who had the key to the electronic music studio at Cornell, that our stuff had to have a dance beat, we were like incredulous, like, yeah. what? Yeah, like, yeah. It's like, it's, it's, it was as if someone said to a painter, well, you know, your paintings really have to have more blue. blue. Yeah. <laughs> like, more rainbows. Yeah, like, what? <laughs> Unicorns. What, what are you talking about? A dance beat? Like, for what reason? Mm -hmm. I have changed a lot since then. Because mm. I really, I love dance music. It's very important to me. The idea of building a project around danceability, I think, is, is great. I, I yeah. love it. I, I kind of went through a transformation this kind of like the same time that uh, Gang of Four came out and said, oh, we're punk, but we're funky. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Talking Heads made explicit their dance music affiliation. Say, yeah. the, the, apparently from the very beginning, one of the bands they wanted to emulate was Hot Chocolate, the ones who I did, don't know that. I believe in miracles. Oh, okay. oh sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that song is called You Sexy Thing. Yeah. 
Um, and then if you if you have that in your head, and then you listen to the first Talking Heads album, it's like, by God, sure. that's right. They were yeah. doing a really bad imitation of Hot Chocolate, and it well, came out this brilliant filtered music. through David Byrne's neur- neurotic right. o- awkwardness. I'm a huge Talking Heads fan. Like, I was just thinking, yeah, like, how... How much of a bummer would Stop Making Sense be if you couldn't dance to it? You know, like if, yes, it, if it was yeah. just all about the artsiness. Exactly. It, it would kind sure. of be like a yeah. wall there. But right. Making it like any anyone could go to the show and dance to the songs. It's, it, yeah. it does. I mean, I sort of see They Might Be Giants like that, too, because the songs are so short and immediate. And right. The, the lyrics are as dense as anything, uh, like at least most times. Right, but the the actual entertainment value you're getting <laughs> is like 18 short songs on this album. It's right. not. It's not like a. It's accessible. Yeah, you can play it for like a little kid. You can play it for yep. anyone really. And they're full band songs, which means bass and drums and a rock yeah. beat, which is a dance beat. Yeah, and it's not like quote unquote dance music, <laughs> but it is danceable. Yeah, because there's a in a past uh, episode we were because com- you know they said one of their biggest influences is the Residents. And, oh. But one thing I was saying was like, well, the res- like, I've tried to listen to the residents, but I find it like I, I want to because <laughs> I'm I'm very interested in their artistic aesthetic. Right. But in terms of the songs being like something I could like whistle the next day, it's like hard. Right. You know, no, like, it's different. So, it's a different thing. So it's yeah. like it's not that I could never get into them, but it's a little bit more of like an effort on my part to like right. be like. Uh-huh. Or if I wanted to play it for like my girlfriend or something, right. there'd be kind of like, okay, just give it a chance. Whereas they might be giants, like, you know, she loved them right away because she's like, I can't get that song out of my head. You Excellent. Know? Yep. <laughs> yep. So I, I guess we could. Um, so what? What came first was was Watch Face or was it the like meeting John and John? Like, what, what's the timeline there? So I moved from Cornell to New York, started playing in clubs in New York and working at the Pyramid Club. Yes. Nice. But in New in Ithaca, when I was still at Cornell, I hooked up with some performance artists who met Iris Rose, and so I met Iris Rose. Yeah, we should give context for people listening. So, yeah, do you want to say who she is? Iris Rose is a theater maker, performance artist, writer, who did really wonderful, extremely rigorous performance art slash theater pieces. Yeah. At the time, we said performance art, but decades later, Iris said, you know, to me, it was always theater. Mm-hmm. But I knew I had to use this term performance art. And also, the kind of performing that they did was not acting. And Iris was so articulate and put it very simply what the difference was. Okay. However, I don't remember exactly what oh, okay. she said. <laughs> Do you think the difference between performance art and theater is like theater people kind of show up because they know what they're going to see, but performance art is kind of sprung on an audience. Oh, maybe that's part of it, yeah. <laughs> I think about open mics I've gone to where someone starts doing a crazy performance art thing, and I was like, I did not sign up <laughs> Right, this. right, yes. There's yeah. a, I feel like there's like a sabotage element to it where it's like, can be. you're yeah. all watching yeah. this now. <laughs> so she started doing uh, performance pieces in New York, and her first or s- second piece in New York, maybe her first one was with Music by Me. And so then this started a collaboration that preceded Watchface and then continued on after. She started working with a number of people, with me as a composer and other people performing in the piece. And after a while, when the other members started doing very related work, they realized, oh, we're a collective, aren't we? Which is really kind of wonderful of Iris to acknowledge yeah. that and say, I, I, sometimes I wish that it was just her. Always. But there's been some great stuff done by the other members sure. of Watchface. And I was n- never 
really a member of Watch Face because I had so okay. much stuff that was totally outside of it. My own mm -hmm. solo music work had nothing to do with them, whereas all of the work that they did at the time really had to do with this core set of techniques and this core group of people. And you, you would, would you just provide them with music or would you go to the shows and sort of create it live for them or would you be there? I would be intimately involved okay. one way or another from the get-go. The first piece we did together, the music was largely live. Oh, okay. Um, with tape loops and yeah, processed yeah. pre-recorded sounds. We did uh, this piece together called Camden, an American musical tragedy. The stench comes up from the sewage plant The city's bathed in the smell of garbage Discard, refuse, waste Um, heard, is, probably is heard that excerpts. the Cherry Hill? Yes. Okay. Right. Yeah. So one, <laughs> I one love little that. section I of that. I that three times today. Oh, cool. Cool. <laughs> and that had a very tight collaboration with me and Iris. Don't give me no lectures. Just give me my check. My kids are fine. My housework's fine. My mind is fine. My life is fine. Just give me my check. I'll try to save, try to behave, just give me my check. Yeah, you can talk about that because so so that showed up on a split single that you did with They Might Be Giants. Yes. Which I, I do have, you know, I, I, I have MP3s of because the, mm -hmm. the fans share all that stuff, the rare stuff that we can't find anywhere. Right. That shows up on eBay now and again. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah, I yeah. would totally grab that. Um, if I had money. Um, right. But yeah, so Insane is the your first track on there. Right, and that was one of the pieces that I performed solo in clubs. Oh, okay. So that, what that represents is... I think somewhat edited, but edited from a live performance where I was mixing in four tracks from a synchronized tape loop and maybe a fifth track from a cassette. When I say synchronized, I mean from a four-channel mm -hmm. tape. Okay. And so it has this drum pattern that has cut-up voice and weird yeah. percussion, including stuff that was sampled, if you want to call it that, but not using a sampler. Yeah. Sample in the sense that I recorded the sound of a kick drum from an R&B record, uh, took several recordings of that kick drum, put them on tiny pieces of audio tape that were the size of eighth notes and quarter notes, mm -hmm. made that into a tape loop, ran that onto a, a, a spare track of tape, and then added percussion to that, mm -hmm. and added cut-up voices which were actually the crazy eddie guy do you, do you, I, I thought it was him i was yes. listening today and i said is this crazy eddie and exactly that's, yes that's, okay yeah confirmed. of course confirmed. the guy who was advertising crazy eddie and said his prices are insane yeah was not actually crazy eddie oh okay that was the spokesperson okay, was for his, right right it's like uh, his dave <laughs> <laughs> um, that's right and then the cherry hill mall thing yeah that was hilarious was was a lot of the Iris's 
you know, aesthetic and the watch face stuff, was it, was humor the sort of the, a main goal or was it kind of part of like weaved into it? Cause the cherry hill mall thing is, I found it hilarious. No humor was not no. <laughs> it. What humor was a, a known side effect. They knew, uh, okay. they knew it would it. be funny, yeah. but she was absolutely covering this story according to very, very rigorous guidelines. We had a tempo map wow. and each act would have a recitative and an aria. Okay. And they were related as much sort of structurally than uh, as musically. And she wrote to fill these different categories of the story. Mm -hmm. So is that, so the Cherry Hill Mall thing is part of a wider thing? It's part of a 17 minute, what do I call it? A minimal electronic folk opera. (laughs) I think that's what, and it, it, it it absolutely, it absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of her best pieces. And it's really nice that in our memory, we afford a little more credit to the other one than the other one mm-hmm. thinks. Like I, I have said to Iris, you know, I think you really dominated the composition of the melodies mm. because you sing them, and I yeah, think you made yeah. up most of the melodies. And this is really your your brilliance. And then she would say, No, I think you wrote the melodies, and you were like the <laughs> backbone of this thing. Yeah. And I'm 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 proud of that piece. Let's go shopping, Cherry Hill Mall. Steak for lunch. It's only once a month. You can get what you want, but you gotta eat it all. I love it at the mall. Everything's so clean. Well, we're we're jumping around a little bit. Um, Jump away. I wanted to back up a little bit. So there's a period in watch face, and then there's the split single that comes out. So how does that mm. come about? What does your relationship start building with uh, John and John? Um, I know them from the Pyramid Club. I'm oh, pretty okay. sure that I know them from doing sound at the Pyramid. I got hired as an audio engineer for the live acts, of which there was at least one every single night, usually several. And I don't know exactly how it spread to the point where... Flansburg was collaborating with Watchface, mm-hmm. and I was I, I kind of know how I started collaborating with They Might Be Giants, but I don't know how our friendship really expanded. But you know, it was a, it was a scene. Yeah, right. we performed at a lot of the same places. Um, we had the same management for a while. So I opened for them in, in a few different places, but it, it seems like that Flansburg probably got close to Watchface through me, mm-hmm. I would guess. And they played at the Pyramid enough times, so that could be really the core of us getting to know each other. Yeah. He seems like a very uh, social person. Who oh, like yeah. really makes Super gregarious and outgoing and promotional. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, That's what I mean by social. Cause yeah, yeah. I, like, I was about to say friendly, but I think it's there is an element of, like, he just he wants to cl- get to know people to like maybe for collaboration or for, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, he seems like someone that's just interested. He's like, yeah, in he everything in, in what's going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they, so John and John knew my music from me performing. And then just John started asking me to do these things. Wow. Every one of these collaborations was just him saying, let's do this. Will what, you do this? What year are these pyramid shows roughly? Um, 82 to 85. So something that, 
<laughs> speaking for myself, but something that They Might Be Giants fans are like super interested in because mm-hmm. there's not a lot of documentation on it is like those early shows of theirs where it's like it's all different songs that never made it onto albums. It's a lot of the props that they would use. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's not, it, do you have any like specific memories of what those shows of theirs were like? Like what did you, if you're the sound guy and you've seen a million bands, is there something that <laughs> made them stand out to you or that made you be like, oh, I do want to get to know these guys? Well, we just got to know each other because we would talk and it, would, it yeah. was as much based on our conversations. Okay. Um, we were already getting to be pretty friendly before I really latched on to, wow, these are just great songs. Yeah, yeah. There's so little known about this period for a lot of the fans, especially fans who are maybe like more our age or even younger that weren't even born. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think there was a period before they played the pyramid Mm -hmm. when it was more of sort of this wacky... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, almost vaudeville kind of thing and not like a straight band. I think Flansburg probably told me that their very first show, very first show is at a place called Dr. B's. Dr. B's, okay. And they had one song that was done by a really tall puppet that was basically a stick with one jaw thing that moved or something. They must have, well, they resurrected that in the late 90s because we saw them do that. Oh, really? Yeah, Yeah. they they have um, (laughs) their song, Exquisite Dead Guy. Right, right. Oh, right, okay. From their their 1996 album. Uh, They they performed that with two long sticks that they... God, that's right. Yeah, it was amazing. Maybe that's related. I, I don't know. I saw a blurb. I was like, you know, looking around the, TMBW, mm-hmm. which is the amazing They Might Be Giants Wikipedia resource. Right, or, yeah. or it's not technically Wikipedia, whatever. But um, Right, it's a wiki. Yeah. Um, there was a blurb I saw about an early show. There was an old review that said, John and John uh, duel with bread loaves. <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, did you ever see anything? Uh, like, all my act. Because that's... Like, <laughs> yeah, that seems crazy to me. Like, that's... I can't even... <laughs> it's so silly, uh, you know. I'm trying to remember. They sometimes had some photo images mounted on uh, foam core mm-hmm. <laughs> that would rotate on a turntable, I think. Oh, really? Oh, okay. With a move. Um, there was some kind of funny props, but I don't quite remember what they are. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. I think they did some shows with a drum machine and then moved to, to backup tapes. Oh, okay. Oh, and so the, they would actually bring the drum machine I like, think, rather than I'm have not the remembering. Okay. But yeah. surely there must be stuff from them is, that answers that question. Not a Very lot. That's, that's yeah. It's actually really? it's kind that's of the tough beautiful to mystery. Find. Yeah, I mean, it's almost nice. Like it, it is kind of in our imagination. <laughs> yeah, I almost. Oh. There's, there's there very little. Point. There's there's a lot of chronicling of their shows from around like '87 and beyond. But um, pre their first album coming out, like 86, there's really very, right, it's very little. Right. And then there's an interview where he said like, oh, we had like 200 songs that we threw out before we made our first. So that's what I mean. Like I would love to, you know, fans are, are just dying for something to to like come out, like old footage, old uh, video, old anything. Yeah. It's such a, like an interesting time. And in, in that performance art aspect and that, cause the reason I asked about Iris's like approach to like, how comedic it should be or came out or unintentionally right. or unintentionally because Flansburg has said a similar thing where he's there's a quote where he said you know at our early shows the audience would be laughing and he didn't like that 
<laughs> you know what I mean? He didn't realize. And it's like if you're dueling with bread loaves and you mm-hmm. don't want the audience to laugh. <laughs> to me, that's like a fascinating contrast. I find them interesting in that regard, but really anything, any art that we like or bands or whatever that really toes the line between it's not so um it's not so pretentious that there's no humor right but it's it's also not so comedic that they want i mean they want to they're expressing some sort of a deeper right you know and yet it can be really funny yeah (laughs) well i was saying i think they can't help but have that humor to them just because they are smart you know intelligent thinkers and you know the people that think they have reactions of the world around them usually have Mm -hmm. you know uh ridiculous views about things that just come out like there are some people you know that are just naturally funny and there are some people that try as they might will never be funny right (laughs) and i tend to be funny when i'm not trying yeah but but i still try (laughs) yeah yeah um well i said at a show once that i was really depressed and the whole room laughed yeah a show that you did (laughs) yeah Yeah, with my band i remember that Thank you. It was funny. <laughs> you mean it can't, you mean your depression? You exhibited your depression in some way that I said. Thank you for coming tonight. I'm really depressed, and everyone just laughed. It's funny, <laughs> but it is funny. That yeah. is funny. So I mean, yeah. Yeah. well, I'm glad they liked it. That's not exactly like a, you know, like a Motley Crue like rock thing to say into the microphone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was just being honest. So you do the split single. Is there anything about the split single that that was that something you you guys like? I mean, it's their, it's three songs of theirs and then two of your, is it, is there any story behind how that happened? Well, yeah, uh, it came, uh, as part of a magazine called Ferro oh, okay. Botanica, okay. which is a Hoboken-based literary magazine, and the publishers knew me and knew them, or okay. they, um, <laughs> and they, I think, curated it, said, this is what we want to do. Mm-hmm. And then when I saw that they might be giants had a logo, uh-huh. I didn't have a logo. So we just put my name on it. Okay. Um, and I can't remember much else, but it was not a flexi. It was a full on rigid uh, vinyl. Oh, wow. So one thing I wanted to talk about with Watchface, because this is, this, there's some info about this, but so the Serial Killer series. Yeah. Any, uh, I listened to your John Wayne Gacy track, which is on her SoundCloud, on IRS That's SoundCloud. the one that was played by Flansburg. Yeah. Oh, that's, well, that's why I'm connecting but these dots. But Flansburg is not on that audio? No, it's just your backing track. SoundCloud is like half you. I mean, it's pretty. Oh, really? It's pretty like yeah. It's great for anyone who wants to look at um, into uh, your, the I stuff should, you've done. I should consider checking it out. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> so it's the John Wayne Gacy track, and there's photos of Flansburg's performance. Yeah, and only John Wayne Gacy. No Henry Lee Lucas. No, the Bundy others or... are there too. Oh, okay. I'm just focusing on John Wayne Gacy. Of course, because that was uh, the Flansburg one. He's the best serial killer. No, <laughs> um, but yeah, because it's the Flansburg one, and it is. A, he is a. John Wayne Gacy is particularly uh, upsetting <laughs> as far yeah. as serial killers go. Um, and I think the he's fact, a good choice. Yeah, he's <laughs> we're going to interview him next for the. <laughs> um, as far as like, yeah, and, and in terms of Flansburg's aesthetic, and you're and you all kind of collaborating, so it's like your music under a conceptual thing by Iris, right? Right. And Flansburg is performing it, so that to me is sort of a perfect example to talk about. Oh sure. Scene. 
I think Flansburg probably came up with very little of his of what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only things that he may have come up with came out of theater exercises that were used by Iris and Watchface to generate material. Oh, like and, like what? Do you have an example of that? And one of the exercises was called Frankenstein, <laughs> which was a uh, a creature made out of different parts from different people. Yeah. And so Frankenstein was a, a bit of performance that was made of different bits of performance that were contributed by different people. So someone would contribute what the arms did and someone would okay. contribute what was said. I think I might be messing this up, but Oh no, it's fine. Um no, you wouldn't know, but Yeah, but, exactly. Um I just saw Iris today, so I'm thinking Oh really? About yeah. Oh my yeah. god. Another uh a technique that came up later in the history of Watchface was this idea of an emblem which was one a, a gesture, some kind of a gesture that meant something to which with, 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 that was then applied rhythmically, so we call them rhythmic emblems or remblems. So it was a very specific <laughs> uh-huh. theater or performance-generating technique. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe Flansburg was tasked to come up with some material <laughs> okay. in that vein. But other yeah. than that, he was doing exactly what Iris told him to do and what was written for him to do, and it was hard for him. I remember at yeah, times, it was well, like, at this, he was, he was game, but he was not used to this. This okay, wasn't singing a song. This too. wasn't ad-libbing in front of a crowd. Mm-hmm. This wasn't singing a song. It's not, this not very was, likable. Either. No, it was, that you know, part wasn't. Lansberg is very, super likable on stage. Right. Uh, you know, we've seen many of their shows, and, and like, He's funny. He's like you. You just feel. You feel. He starts saying like, "Hey guys, we're gonna have fun." It's like, yeah. Oh yeah. And so to the description of I don't know if you looked just into I didn't, it. No. The description of what he had to do in this show is like highly disturbing, and uh, <laughs> but it was not. It was not graphic. No, no. It was yeah. all metaphorical. It was weird, like sort of gestural choreography. It's, but it's very under your skin kind of stuff. I mean, I can't even imagine like. Yeah. There's a, yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting to know that he, like, or he's somewhat struggled with the having to do that. I mean, oh, it was hard. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. both Johns wrote songs for Iris later on for her yeah. torch song show. those songs actually yeah. that was she recently put up the john Linnell's demo and that was a huge oh. thing for fans to hear a song oh. from the 80s that no one had ever heard it's great and that was as plain as the lie on your lips yeah plain as the lie on your lips and bedtime stories never Okay, in Flansburg, don't I have don't the right. right to be loved? Yeah, yeah, which is amazing to hear. I will try someone new if that someone would love me the way you did. Don't 
there's multiple versions of that mm. song out there. There's a dial a song version where he's doing like a fast version yeah, on guitar and singing it. Yeah. And it's really, I really like that version a lot. I do too. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize there was that many. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the, yeah. We're the like obsessive See, Jordan, podcast. Yeah, that. Jordan will send me these things. He'll be like, "Here's a really rare Linnell thing from this thing that's yeah. also really, and it's levels of going it's like down. Demos into, of demos yeah. of rare songs that right, no one's heard of right. before. And they have the dial a song layer that most people don't have. Yeah, which is a cool, cool mm-hmm. thing. Which we say is almost kind of like a beautiful thing. Sure. Like oh yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You just can't quite grasp it it's it's the quality's kind of bad and you can't really hear what the bass is doing and you know it's it's just a little oh. out of reach <laughs> uh-huh and so it's kind of frustrating but it, that also that almost makes it more special you know those you old should songs. always hear what the bass is doing damn it dave's a bass uh, player oh, sorry right <laughs> okay so i guess we should we should get to the world's address remix oh no 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 we no. have to we have okay. to work up to it <laughs> no fine as you like it that, oh sure sure fine We, I have a question I'm hoping you could answer. Did Flansburg write the world's address? I think so. Because fans are de- debate about this because there's an early version where Linnell is singing it. Oh, cool. So uh, for a while on the, on the wiki, it said John Linnell wrote the song because he sings the oh, demo. Oh, really? Oh. But I said, well, we, don't, we still don't know. Maybe he sings the demo for one reason or another. But to me, it always felt more like Flansburg's lyrical style and songwriting yeah. style. Yeah, and Flansburg <laughs> is the one who would ask me to do that. Yeah. Linnell isn't the one who would say, let's do a dance mix of one of my songs. <laughs> yeah. you know, that makes you laugh. Hmm. I mean, that's how... No, yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> I, well, I, something that is, like, very interesting is their difference in their personalities and how they combine to make this one thing, you know? Oh, yeah, I, yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. The, I'd almost say that's, like, the main draw for me of, of mm-hmm. digging into the band. Is so you, yeah. But you don't know for sure, though. If, if I just for, assumed. You just assumed, yeah. Yeah, and I'm trying to think if there's any clues <laughs> that, that, you know, like well, that I knew that so it had to be, but no. Nah, nah, the only clue assumed. I could think of, so I mentioned to you, like, there's this possible West Side Story reference in the lyric. Oh, in the lyric. Not in what I, not in the remix, but in the lyric. Not in the remix. Right. Um, and, and in Watch Face, there was a West Side, there was a show where there was West Side Story songs being played, and Flansburg was a part of it, because Iris put photos from that show up on the website, and you see Flansburg there. The name escapes me. I have the, the stuff on my computer, but it was a show where they played, they played uh, Tonight from West Side Story. Uh-huh. Tonight, tonight. Yeah. And it was also a show where uh, Flansburg did a, he did a play of, uh, he did, they like put in his ear like lines from a play and he had to repeat it. Do you know what I'm yes. talking Yes. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was part of it. and But also part of that show apparently was these West Side Story oh, songs. Right, right. Yes. And the, I'm like, yeah, right. You just had that on his So brain. if 1985, 86, whatever, mm-hmm. he's singing or he's at this show that performs tonight where there's a line, tonight the world is just an address, then does that inspire him to then write a song oh, called The World's okay, Address? Oh, okay. Now I remember what you were saying. This is what we do on the show is we try to connect these <laughs> obsessive dots like... Like well, a, this is what Jordan does. Well, that makes perfect sense. That's, uh, yeah. that's, that's, I could certainly imagine a Flansburg or any songwriter. Yeah, right. there's, yeah. There's another, a similar thing. I was talking to Flansburg about, we, we, there was someone in the music business they were both working with, and I didn't have any trouble working with this person, but Flansburg did. And I remember saying to him, it's like, 
Every it's like I'm doing fine, but with you it's just like avalanches and roadblocks, one after oh, another. That. And he liked that line. Oh my god! And then that turned into that song. That's so cool. I love hearing stuff like oh, that. Oh man! Yeah, isn't that that's fun? So, so that's uh-huh. but that's an example. That's of one of like, my favorite oh, you heard songs. That. Yeah, that's same. snowball in hell, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, we've our episode where we talked about it is we have a lot to say about it. And he it. says he says avalanche or roadblock. Yeah, or roadblock. Right, right. We I actually, think I said talk a- about that line for a while. In the- <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I think I said to him, "It's like avalanches or roadblocks," and he was like, "Ding, I'm gonna use oh, that or so something like that." Wow. Yeah. So wow. Then, then the world's address thing might be possible. Oh yeah, yeah. I think so. So I think it was, I think it was Flans. Yeah. Um, so the, how did the remix happen? Like <laughs> I, you said, he, he brought it up. It was, you. it was his idea mm-hmm. and Jamie Kitman was already their manager yeah. and discussed it. And we discussed how I would be compensated. What minimal, horrible thing. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and how I would do it. And, and Kitman wanted the, uh, uh, a bass to go boom. <laughs> <laughs> Which I had trouble doing with the pitch bend or something like that. Oh, sure. But you can hear it. It sounds kind of dorky. But. Okay. But hmm. there's, that track is filled with things that I wanted to be kind of tougher and more produced than they ended up being. And they're a little bit dorky, and but people like it, so I guess it's fine. That's part of the charm of They Might Be Giants 80s material is yeah. there's a dorky <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a non-aggressive quality that when I was like a teenager, it spoke to me more than like grunge sure. and stuff that was happening yeah. in the '90s. And go, you know, I certainly connected a lot to it. Yeah, they didn't sound like they were trying to be cool, right? Um, which right. is to me is more cool than exactly. You know, the but I people. was trying to be cool yeah. with the remix. But <laughs> it I is was cool. I think I've always thought it was cool. But it's cool in that in that a little bit of true cool, a little bit of unintentional cool, or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I guess I have a few. I'll I'll go with the specific questions first about that, just because. Sure. I sure. mean, just to bring it to the personal. I mean, so when I'm like 14, 15, I have the miscellaneous T cassette. And right. I'm in summer camp with my Walkman. You know, this is like 97 or 96. And I'm, uh-huh. you know, I'm listening to Miscellaneous T on a loop all day. Right. And I'm going around <laughs> singing the World's Address remix to my friends and I'm getting them into it. So this is really... Oh, is I'm a, so glad. No, it's like a <laughs> crucial thing in my life. And and so there's like all the, the things in that song. So I guess a point I want to make is... It's never felt like just like a remix. Yeah. It, it, oh, the no, way no, no, that no. like the way that like a record label would be like, guys, you got to put a remix on this thing for the clubs. Put you know? sleigh bells on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Christmas remix. I love that. I I, think, I really like that idea. Of just throwing sleigh bells on anything. <laughs> yeah. And suddenly it's Christmas eyes. Yeah. Um, so the you know it always felt like a like a, a work of art. The, you know, not That's just right. not just a way to get more people to hear. It a seems song like a new story. You know. Yeah. Well, uh, Flansburg just wanted a remix. Mm-hmm. Kipman said, I want a bass to, to come in with that fill. <laughs> I stretched it to this thing where I put in, I brought in a completely different kind of groove. Yeah, yeah. And those ridiculous transitions. And my, my initial <laughs> concept was, I want to take that same exact tempo mm-hmm. and come up with a completely different groove that feels like a different tempo. Mm-hmm. A dance groove, oh, yeah. okay. but not just a dance groove that's similar to the sort of fake Latin thing that they have, but a dance groove that construes that tempo th- as a completely different thing. It feels so, slower? Like it feels. Of course, it feels yeah, much slower, but, so it's but it's the same underlying. Uh, or, or maybe you could say, like, well, there, it, you know, with, 
their groove, it's eighth notes and my groove, it's, it's quarter notes or something. Sure. <laughs> um, the one time I tried to talk about eighth notes on the show, we got like 10 emails correcting me. We got me, a so lot I'm of not, trouble. I'm never actually, doing it. I think I actually said those opposite. I think that at that given tempo, <laughs> you gotta be careful. what yeah, was quarter notes in their thing was maybe construed as eighth notes in yeah. mine. But more to the point, it's a whole different feel, even though yeah. the BPM is exactly the same. I mean, right. it, it, we, we were sort of kidding, but it, on Miscellaneous T, I'd say it is the coolest track. Oh, all right. <laughs> but it's also one of the most tea. hated. There's some people really? who are like, what? oh, and there was one of these polls on uh, social media media what's your least favorite dmbg song and it was right up there oh, oh and i understand it because it's making reference to hip-hop and sure. there are plenty of they might be giants fans who have no interest well, they, yeah they're a dorky i mean look i'm i but you what know do you think of they might be giants fan would be fairly open-minded to a lot of different no i actually i was talking about that with ways someone of doing things i hope mean so yeah i would hope so but i was talking about that i mean i can even speak for myself like i when when i discovered them they were for a while they were the only band i liked because i was young i didn't really I like a lot of bands so you get tunnel vision. and i it became very i became very snobby about other music because i <laughs> i was just like you know like i remember i mean even me and dave would argue i remember like you'd want to get me into this like punk song yeah, i'd be like oh well the lyrics are dumb compared to they might be giants so i wouldn't like uh, yeah. you know what well, i mean of, co of course sure not, not so, bad religion no not bad religion dave's love bad religion anyway. but uh i you know, it, it did kind of put me in, in a headspace of very, like, I like the best band ever, and no one's going to talk me out of it. I and then I, eventually I got into more bands. I get into Talking Heads and all these other oh, bands. Yeah. But it still kind of is in that new wave, artsy kind of vibe. Where, and what not, is still in that new wave, artsy? Like them? Like, that, They Might Be Giants, Talking Heads. Uh, oh, I see what you Devo. Like, the, right. the other bands I got into were sort of still in that same genre i would say sure or yeah. what if you could call it a genre because to me they all sound so different but you know what i mean the kind I of do. the kind of neurotic intellectual arts right stuff. well no, no no one but but they might be giants can succeed purely on they might be giants terms yeah exactly. sure so they're always there you know if you compare the lyrics of mm -hmm. all but a very few to the to sure, GPG yeah, lyrics yeah. <laughs> but that's but that's how it works. I mean, mm -hmm. they you know when I want to stretch out on the dance floor with a dance groove you, you know, that's housey, yeah. I'm not going to turn to they might be giants. Well, yeah. We talk, mm. I talk about that a lot because it's they're not they're not like makeout music. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, it all depends. Yeah, yeah. Um, For some well, people, or to, or more broadly, they're not background music. They're right. they're music that you have to really. Um, pay it like or you can't help but pay attention to yeah but it's pop music so it's catchy yeah. in that in that sense but but your remix is a little bit more you know it's literally was like the longest they might be giants track for a long time oh i'm I sure it might still be so at the time it was like this is one of the few they might be giant songs you could kind of like groove to and kind of walk around to and just listen that's, for that's a what while. i was gonna say I you think could actually walk like a few a blocks <laughs> before it's over you know what i mean it's definitely a little world that gets created i think yeah oh, that's in that cool song. yeah so i i mean there's probably some fans who who maybe don't tolerate it because they they maybe they don't think it counts but my whole as, cause, right because it's like someone else made it but my, i guess my original well, that, point other, yeah. was to me it's always felt like a they might be giant song oh that's good it has kind of original content in it and that's kind of what i wanted to ask you so the the i'll go one at a time <laughs> <laughs> so paging mr saxophone I believe Linnell said that, and Linnell made it up. That's Linnell. See, it always sounded like Flansburg's voice to me. 
Oh, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> but but uh, there's a certain thing you, you should, should defer to me for the, the <laughs> I think expert so. information. Um, one so thing let, you should know was that yeah. I slaved over the creation of this groove mm. and the transition to and from the grooves. Okay. But a lot of the overdubs were done very quickly and largely uh, by them. Yeah. Hmm. That's why I always considered it, I guess you could call it canon. It's like a, it has new material. from Because there's, I mean, I don't know, like, how closely you follow their whole discography. Probably not as obsessive as, like, fans. No, not as obsessive so, as So, like, they, they have other remixes on other singles. And they're right. clearly very removed from them. You know, they they clearly had nothing to do with them. Right. And as a fan, it's a little, like, it's like, okay, cool, but it's not... To me, I'm interested in what they do, you know, not what sure, not what yeah, some guy, yeah, and collaboration. Yeah. So the reason I, so the the idea that they, you know, say these sam or whatever they you call mm -hmm. them samples or clips is super, right. super interesting, and it, to me, it adds more to the original song. Even it, you know, it adds more mystique or adds more connections to me. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So so you say so Linnell came up with Page. Uh, it might have been Flansburg. Might have been Flansburg. But Linnell said someone in the club tonight has stolen my ideas. Someone in the club tonight has stolen my ideas. I was I was gonna get to that. That's oh, man. I used to say that all the time. <laughs> that line has been stuck in my head for like twenty years. Does that years. line have like do you know the the idea behind it? Do you have ideas of like what He's is he, is there a reference to something specific, or is no. it kind of a reference to that performance arts club scene where you're all seeing each other's shows? And yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, I knew them from the club and performance art mm -hmm. scene, and it was it was just funny. Yeah, um, <laughs> I love and, that line. Oh yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. I relate to it. I've me and Dave uh -huh. have both <laughs> have plenty of shows where like. We feel that. <laughs> we feel or that. someone has stolen your ideas. Yeah, or just like, um, just or almost like you see a band and you're like, oh, I wish I, ah, I was, I wanted to do that. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? We'll but don't you find them. that when you do it anyway and you do it your own way, sure, it's sure. still you. I like to think that, but I'm, I'm very, <laughs> you know, insecure. Right. I don't think right. we're there yet. Yeah. So I always thought that was Linnell, but I, I wasn't positive. What? S someone saying, in the club yeah, tonight saying that it, it is. Yeah. Feel free to raise your hand at any moment. Is that that's also John Linnell, or is that you? I think so. You? No, you I don't think I get them? any. I'm the one who says cha 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 at the end. And oh the, really? And the uh, oh, I, I nice. didn't think that. The, uh, <laughs> I never I never thought the timing on that got was right, but that's oh, how it really? goes. <laughs> my and my voice is in the percussion too. The cha 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 like that kind of that kind of stuff is me. Yeah, yeah the cha 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 okay. is me. I guess I guess I'm I've always and other fans too. Just is there any context behind some of that? So like, feel free to raise your hand at any moment. Is it just like what spurs that on for him to say that into your your microphone or whatever? His maybe he did he like send it to you or did he come over? <laughs> it was all done at Flansburg's house in Flansburg studio. Oh, okay, and I got had the key to his house, and then for the mix down, I insisted that we rent a half inch stereo tape deck to okay. mix it onto. Okay, and it couldn't fit in the doorway to his <laughs> studio, so it was in the hallway of his oh my God. apartment building. 
Is that where the letters, the miscellaneous T, the cover yeah, of that yes, album yeah, is? Yeah, 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 same place. I always thought yeah. that was his hallway. How'd you know that? I just, I just assumed. I don't know. Yeah, it's his stairs, I think. This, well, the cassette uh, cover is the stairs, and the, the record cover and the CD cover is the hallway. It's He actually did two different versions, oh. which is really cool. Under a pseudonym, Rolf... Oh Ralph yeah, Conant. yeah. He, he he credits himself as that's right as the photography. Who told you that? Um, <laughs> um, well, I, I always thought we'll it, I, I assumed it was his <laughs> apartment because the whole miscellaneous tea as a compilation has a very like apartment feel to it. How so? What do you mean? <laughs> it's very like four track, like not quite demo, but not quite the big studio feel. Like right, like there's like you, nightgown of the sullen moon. Right, you hear Linnell's breaths while he's. It's very like uh-huh. it's not as um, polished. Um, sure, though yeah. it's certainly no less like. I mean, it's mo- it's one of my favorite like releases. Um, so it always felt to me kind of like that works. Yeah, yeah. It always it always felt like kind of like a home like an apartment kind of <laughs> album. It's hard to yeah, explain. Yeah, very true. Some of these things are vague I notions. See that. I there's a, there's no, a I, that, that, yeah. I think that's actually well expressed yeah. and, and valid. Yeah, thank you. Um, but yeah, is there, a, do you know of the, any context to feel free to raise your hand at any moment? Um, we were in his apartment and I think we were sort of standing in front of the sampler. Okay. Oh, I guess there was two parts to it. One was recording these things and then laying them out as samples that were play playable by hitting the keyboard sure. on this Casio FZ1 or FZ10 or FZ10M. That's our sponsor. Uh, sampling. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Casio, right. Right. Um, and then playing them, fitting them, deciding to, where they would be in the mix. Mm. I might be mixing up those two parts of the recording. Yeah, okay. And I remember, I think it was... Flansburg that, or maybe it was Linnell who felt a little dismayed that I worked so hard on certain parts of this, and finally at the end I was like, "Oh, whatever you guys want to put on to it, that's cool." <laughs> yeah. But that's I, I, I'm still a little bit like that. But I was very much like that mm. in those days where I was focused on the groove and the production, almost to the exclusion of the top line. I was so focused on <laughs> remixes and and dub reggae. Wow. And like a dub dub reggae is the practice of remixing multi-track reggae records, unless you're talking about the practice that includes toasting, which is reggae rapping, and also sometimes goes under the term dub. Okay, um, so it's, it's good you told me. I'm, this is not an area I'm like oh, okay. too familiar with. So, so in dub, you're focused on the instrumental versions of reggae songs, and the dub mixing style is to include the vocals, but. Very little of them. Very so you, delayed, right? And kind of delayed and, and kind of float and, away. And mostly not there. Yeah. So yeah. you'd have part of one line, hmm. that's it, but then would echo away. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um there's and an so, XTC remix like that. Oh, it's called oh, like okay. something dub remix, and it's just yeah bits of the vocals and then long gaps. Of, right. You know, yeah. Yeah. There's some great dub music out there, mm-hmm. and it was a huge inspiration for me. It was a real revelation when I first heard oh, okay. dub. So. So it was like this quick session of them coming up with these ideas that then become the top line elements yeah. that everyone uh, 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 well, really digs. They're weirdly quotable. I mean, yeah, oh yeah, they were great. Yeah, yeah. it's funny. Yeah. I was, I was asking a friend of mine who's a, a big fan online. He's like an online friend. His name's Chris Stengel, and I was like, "Do you have anything you want to know about the song?" And he said the same. He was just the same thing. He's like, he's like paging Mr. Saxophone or something. Right. I say all the time. Oh, but that's a reference. Oh, okay. What's what's the reference? Well, everyone at the time got it except for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Uh, so you'll have to ask them. <laughs> uh, okay. No, seriously. It, like, it is a reference something. to like a TV show. I'll do show. my detective work. I, you know. It is a reference to some TV show. Interesting. And I think someone complimented me on what a witty reference to a TV show oh. it was. <laughs> and then I had to sort of... Night Court. I don't know if what I said, but it, I had to correct them, at least in my head, sure. in two ways. One, I didn't even come up with that and be, I don't even know what it's a reference yeah, to. Wow. But I think it's a reference to some TV thing. Do they not... Uh, the 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 message we got from Bill Krauss was, he was just like, he's like, I never asked them what the songs are about. (laughs) Right. Is that, is that accurate from your memory of that kind of, like, do they, are they not very forthcoming about like, oh, by the way, this song is, is about this. You know what I mean? It wasn't. It wasn't the number one question. Yeah. It's funny. For Franz, it is the number one question. Yeah. But sometimes. But when you know. It's not specifically about one thing or it's nominally mm-hmm. about one thing but that's not yeah. it doesn't even like oh, when i say about i don't mean like the one concrete we actually talk about this a lot on the oh, show that's how, good how right. song interpretation isn't as you know a to b as as people might think but to me it's 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 almost more like a like a dream collage of ideas of course yeah maybe kind of coalesce into a, a maybe a coalesce into a statement or a feeling but at the end of the day it's it's still kind of <laughs> There's they they might sometimes leave a lot of holes in the in the the narrative for you to fill in. Well, yourself. sure, as almost any good songwriter sure. will. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. There's so nothing I, wrong with with coming up with a with a uh, a proposed narrative that can re- mm-hmm. deepen your uh, appreciation. But yeah. to say this is the narrative, yeah, exactly. well, this is about a broken love What's affair. The, no, it can't be. It's actually about uh, yeah. loss of ideals. No, you're wrong. That that <laughs> yeah. you know that stuff is just is just nothing BS. can ruin a song faster than someone saying what it's about, and then you right. don't like that. You're like you're just like oh, yeah. you're disappointed. <laughs> you mean when you when if it's been confirmed that it's about that? And if yeah, that like it. the songwriter is like oh, this is about or that. This happened recently with a movie I saw. I, oh. I watched Personal Shopper, which was amazing. Sorry, I don't know it. It's this weird horror movie, sort of horror, that came out last year. It's very ambiguous and artsy and strange. Nice. And so then, now you're going to ruin it by telling me what No, I, well, I won't say, but then we, me and my girlfriend watched a YouTube clip of the director saying, oh, this is what's really happening. And, and we were like, <laughs> oh. and I actually, it took me a whole day. I, then I didn't like the movie anymore. And then right. after a day, I was like, you know what? I'm going to just yeah. backtrack to the original feeling mm-hmm. I had when the credits came up and just be like, I, I still like this movie. Yeah, Get Out was kind of like that. Before oh, you yeah. understand what's really happening, yeah. the metaphors are all the more potent. Yeah. And then when you realize, well, really, these characters are this way, but for this particular I reason... the same thing. About painting Mr. Oh. Saxophone. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I didn't get this at first, which is another funny thing. Like, what, you didn't get that? The saxophone is paged, but instead of the saxophone, another instrument comes in. And then the saxophone <laughs> is paged again, and then another instrument comes in. Oh, that's so in. funny. And yeah. then finally, the saxophone is paged one more time, and then the saxophone Oh, comes my God. In. I never yeah, caught I never, on to yep. that. And I do. Wait, could it, is it even possible that I didn't? 
because <laughs> I did the I did the remix. Mm-hmm. I was responsible for the for the for the deployment of the. That was you, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know, yeah. but that's happened to me a lot. With like with my work with sampling radio and stuff, there will be wordplay mm. that I'm not even aware of, and if someone that's came so up to me, it's like, oh, it's so cool, you got those two pieces of radio yeah. to talk to each other, and then I have to realize what <laughs> what it was. But and, that kind of goes back to what we were saying: is like when people somehow or another through whatever means these these meanings come out <laughs> right so either, yeah, yeah either in a mystical uh, unknown way or in you know people being very analytical about it me and dave <laughs> are really into the idea of art is kind of its own like it's like an ai <laughs> that it's like Sometimes, has its own yeah. Yeah, logic and because momentum. a lot yeah. of the stuff we talk about on the show is like you know i'll for like the west side story thing like i don't know if he intended that but to me it's just it, it's creating like a montage of all these ideas that are like connect to each other. Yeah, but they've done a series of songs that are comic riffs on more profound things like Purple Rain became Purple Toupee and (laughs) Pencil Rain. Yeah, yeah. And um, also it seems like it's very Flansburg to say, Tonight, the world is not just a dress. And he'll write a song saying, oh, no, the mm-hmm. world's a dress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And being, like, tortured by that, because that's like, a you know, the, the lyrics of that song are very, he's like an anguish. So the other thing in it is mass culture references. It's another Linnell thing. And that's it, just. Well, but uh, that's <laughs> what I was already doing in, I, yeah, in I mean, my work. I already had the insane song and I, there was already samples on the record. I mean, to be honest, like, I've never thought about that phrase, mass culture references. Like, I used to hear the song all the time and think about it or, like, sing it to people. <laughs> but, like, the, the meaning of the, the three words, mass culture references. Well, it means references to mass culture. Yeah. <laughs> and not only was that in my work, it was in their work, but it was also in the air. That was in the early days of appropriation. And, and okay. it was like... The if the sampling and appropriation aesthetic hadn't gotten old yet. Mm-hmm. It was hot. Is it like a meta moment in the remix? To, like, to say in a remix that you're referencing other things? Is that, yeah, it is like a meta thing, sure. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, it's the most I've thought about that. <laughs> that like, yeah. yeah. And yeah, one thing I really love in the World's Dress remix is... Um, it's kind of like the snake charmer melody that comes oh, in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is there anything behind? <laughs> I, I, right? That to me is like a great riff. I mean, that's like a great. Oh, cool. That Thanks. kind of is the hook more than, like, almost more than the source song. Is, oh yeah, well, know. it's definitely the centerpiece of the other. Do you remember other groove? Is there anything about coming up with uh, that? Um, the fake Middle Eastern thing, for some reason, was was okay. I decided it would be okay because it was kitschy, or because it was <laughs> because I was obviously making the hip hop thing be a thing. Yeah. So it, it wasn't. It was somehow it didn't feel like tacky appropriation, but sort of kind of <laughs> kitschy, campy. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. And it was a trumpet sample from the oh, Casio that's a, that's FZ. A oh my god! It's a sample trumpet that I turned into that. Wow. With with pitch bend. So yeah, it was, yeah. I don't know if Flansburg had anything to do with that, but somehow I think he sort of conferred or approved of <laughs> yeah. of that part of it or maybe yeah. he's the one who maybe he said to me you need a top line that thing has to have a melody you can't just have a groove <laughs> That's so funny or something like that i can't quite remember yeah yeah what i love about the song is is the 
the different genres and because then you've got the we can move to the convoy sample which is right. a country and western thing right Yeah, where did the 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 idea to do the convoy sample come from? Um, already by that time in my composing career, I knew that I needed limitations and to work within them. The limitations of four channels on the reel to reel were great. Yeah. Um, conceptual limitations, sampling limitations. Like when I worked on the serial killer serial killer series with Iris Rose, I would collect sounds off the radio and just decide, okay, now it's when I'm going to collect the samples. So I would take stuff off the radio for like five minutes and say, okay, that's it. Yeah. And I got something that was perfect for the Hen Henry Lee Lucas story. And, uh, and of course, with Radio Wonderland, I have the constraint of only using radio that's on the air at the time yeah. that I happen to pick up. Yeah. Which is pretty absurd if you consider the whole <laughs> world of sampling that's out there. Mm -hmm. So I decided to limit myself to vinyl records that were at Flansburg's house. Oh, okay. Mm. Oh, wow. And so, and was kind of limited, and Convoy was just a natural. Yeah, we got a great big convoy. Ain't she a beautiful sight? Because already it, it wasn't my idea in hip hop to have sort of like very white music that was sort of out of left field <laughs> sampled. Yeah. In in a in a in a record. Yeah. So that so that just became the that sort of became this key sample, and I'm not sure what other songs. Is that it? It was oh, there was the classical music thing. What was that? Um, I don't remember. Uh, okay. <laughs> and maybe it wasn't from Flans because in that case, I knew I wanted that like minor triad played by strings. Mm -hmm. Just mm, yeah, mm, yeah, I know yeah. that thing. Oh, okay, okay. And, and the convoy thing. So, yeah, I, th I guess that was like the one. Maybe I thought I was going to have more than one, but then it became convoy as the one. It, the convoy thing's interesting because it, it really ties to Rabbit Child, which is like... Yeah. Is that of, true? Well, because Rabbit Child is all about, you know, it's a riff on songs that are all about talking on a CB radio, which seems to be like a, a weird craze oh, that happened in that right. time. And then yes. for Convoy to show up in the next album in the World's Address remix, you know, it's like, I, I love making those connections that may or may not mean anything. Right, sure, it, why it's not? It's interesting that if Flansburg had that vinyl, that maybe that was part of what inspired oh, yeah, writing yeah. Rabbit Child, which is a CB handle, you know, but we also don't know if what that song is totally about right but right. you know that connecting it to that is i don't know i guess that wasn't in on your in your head when you were doing that or no i don't know no. <laughs> had that song come out yet yeah yeah okay that was like well that was on their demo in 85 okay and it was on their first album in so i probably had heard it but no but i 
I was not thinking of that. What <laughs> I was doing, I was slipping through Flansburg's yeah. records saying, what about this, what about this, 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 this. Ah, maybe Convoy. <laughs> I always thought it was Flansburg saying cha-cha-cha. That's so funny. Well, <laughs> let's have credit where credit is due. I'm glad you came over. Yeah. I said cha-cha-cha. <laughs> but I also like that, what you know, something, actually, this is one of the things uh, my friend my friend Chris online said, is that he likes the, the idea that just it, you take this trip through all these different genres, blend it together, but then at the very end, you bring it back to kind of, what the world's address genre sort of is, is that, you know, that uh-huh. lad and, you know, you end it being like, we're back where we, where oh. the, you know what I mean? The cha-cha-cha says, yeah, okay, it's, it's really this. It's full circle kind of uh-huh. thing. And at, oh, oh I, I like that. He's really sure. good at like analyzing mm. music and lyrics and stuff. I always mm. refer to him for a few songs. What's his name? His name's Chris Stengel. He, he used to post on the news group all the time and he'd write these novella length interpretations of their songs. But oh, they, cool. They were really, he, he's the first one that brought up the West Side Story thing, actually. Right. Um, he's very, like, into all the different references and pop culture and... Mass culture know. references, did you say? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you remember how long all this took? Mm. A few weeks, I think. A few, a few weeks. weeks, wow. Did, did you have a, a timetable that was given to you? Did you have time to play around? Like, how did you know it was done? Oh, well, that's a good question in general. How do you know when something is done? Oh, well, I I I struggle with. I have no idea. um, (laughs) Until it's ripped from your hands. (laughs) Well, I guess there's two angles to that. When is the production done? When is the groove satisfying and the mix completely satisfying? And on that, I sort of had to give up. I can't make it better. Mm. Let's just finish it. Yeah, we we relate. (laughs) But on the the, the compositional aspect of it, um, I was pretty solid with the structure and where things were placed and the arrangement. So I knew I was done. I knew I needed more top line stuff when I was content to have this session that was only a day as opposed to a few weeks where we added this, this stuff. And there was, uh, that was what was bewildering to them. Like, to me, like the groove was so solid, I would have stuff on top of the groove. Great. You want to rap over it? You want to say your, your <laughs> sticky things? Fine. Yeah. I know it's going to be good. And the, the, to me, again, the, 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 the crux of it was the lurching from these two different right. tempos, especially yeah. going back from the hip-hop tempo to, to, the, to the Latino yeah. t- uh, tempo, which was it, it's just this crazy transition. Yeah. yeah. God, I feel like next time I listen to the song, I'll, I mean, when I'm making this episode and I'm maybe putting uh-huh. in clips, it'll be so much more, even more interesting to hear. Cause, oh, good, good. Because it's one thing to just chill out and listen to a song but to then to uh-huh. get all this information uh-huh. it's, it really makes it like different well let me ask you something yeah please. you've heard it a million times but mm. <laughs> is there anything how would you characterize that opening well here i'll tell you the contrast well, it's like a fake up. out because it, it sounds like the song is starting proper yes and then you it's like you step on the brakes it's like right Rrr! Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, how I yeah. Always okay. Took it. Oh, I lo- I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah, I guess. Me too. I, I, uh, sorry. Yeah. Me too. For sure. Oh, great. Oh, yeah. that that was kind of the whole point. Like ah uh, ah uh, uh, yeah, And then yeah, it's yeah. like a whole other thing. We Good. Totally okay. got. Oh, it has a whistle, right? Is that? Yeah. It's it's. It... <laughs> this is my computer. <laughs> yeah. See, it's a whistle, but to me, it, it does feel like 
screech of a of brakes. You right. Know what I mean, it, oh, it's it, like, it, it evokes... like the cop whistle, the police whistle, <laughs> yeah. saying "Stop." Oh, that's funny. Um, is the intro though? Is there anything different about that? Or is it like you know what I mean? Like the, that first five seconds. I think it's remixed, but not. But I would have been content to have it be their mix. Okay, I, I've always wondered if there's any like difference. Well, in, you could compare in, them. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I um, mean, you haven't. No. I, what are you doing in here? I give you my water. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> well, I have one more bit. Oh, um, please. Yeah, if you want to add anything, please. Oh, this is so technical. But it doesn't this is matter. The stuff that I care about. <laughs> um, there's an extra chorus. Yes. That was done by editing the, the, the final mix on the half inch that we brought into Flansburg's apartment. So on the day of the mix, I did a mix down and did an extra mix down of the chorus and spliced that so it lengthened the song that way. And it was also this idea of like, one more time, one more time, yeah. <laughs> one more time. To me, it felt like a standard thing or a solid remix idea where you would eventually cover the song proper in addition to oh, the sure. remix aspect of it. I guess that's kind of a lost technique. People don't do that. Now with a remix, it's just, this is my take and it's very different from the original yeah. and that's it. Yeah, I think as a listener, I like being like, oh, when are you going to get to that, that verse or whatever, or that part of the song I like? And if it's not there, it's a little, right. it makes you a little sad. But this idea of deviating from the song, lengthening, mm -hmm. but then giving it all to you. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the whole song is in there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This is kind of random. Like, what are your thoughts on just the song? Like, as a, uh, like from Lincoln, like, did you, was it a favorite of yours or is there something? Oh, I think I always liked it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what other songs are on Lincoln? I actually wanted to ask you in general, what are some songs of theirs, since this is a They Might Be Giants podcast, like, is there any, like, ones that stand out to you as favorites, either from the early days or any time, really? I always loved Anna Ang. I always loved They'll Need a Crane. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My mom pointed out that Kiss Me, Son of God ha hangs on teasing you with an obscene rhyme and then not giving it to you. Which is? Which part? I don't know if we ever caught... I built a little empire out uh, of some crazy garbage called the blood of the exploded working class. But they've overcome oh. their shyness and they're calling me your <laughs> oh. highest. And the world oh. screams, kiss, kiss my... Oh, wow. I never thought I of it never that way. I never thought of that either. My mom got it wow. right away. And the same thing with, I've destroyed the bonds of friendship and respect between the only people left to look me in the eye. And the people say, eat shit and die oh <laughs> i assume no i don't i don't know i've never said that to anyone so that's not that's but not other part songs of my vernacular. Like... we got to go back and re-edit that one now yeah we do actually one thing uh one yeah, thing that i sure. saw when looking into watch face was there was an article about watch face mm -hmm. about i think it was about the serial killer show and the article was called or there was something that said you kill me it's it, like the headline of the article is "You Kill Me," I don't and know the that original, article. but the original title for "You'll Miss Me" was "You Kill Me," and is I was like, so? "Was that another moment or I have no idea. something from Watchface Flansburg used in the lyrics like a year later or something?" You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. there's an original. Uh, they might be giants like demo cassette where it's like handwritten by him and it says "You Kill Me." Really? And, then, and it's You'll Miss Me. And yeah, and it's You'll Miss Me. And then when I was looking at Watch Face stuff, it's like right there in bold letters, mm. You Kill Me. And I was like, Gee, I don't know. Is that inspired that article. by the serial killer show or is that I song? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's like in Cowtown, <laughs> apparently the original lyric was, Our only home is gone. 
Oh, really? But then they just oh. said, no, no, we can't have that. It makes too much sense. And I have to say, oh, <laughs> is bone, yeah. Yeah. Like Gita would be. Oh, Ooh. my God. That's so, man, if you remember any other stuff like that, that's I, so I, interesting. I know. I'm trying to think of stuff like that. <laughs> um, that's like an exclusive here. Yeah. Oh, Linnell said about, uh, I don't understand you. <laughs> yeah. Which is a major third, which is the doorbell. A standard doorbell, oh, at least from our time. Ding, ding, sure, yeah. sure. Right. So he would sing, it's like someone at a doorbell just is pressing incessantly oh and not stopping. They're not going to wow. go away. Oh, that's ding, so ding, funny. Ding. And he said that just in passing. And then I realized like sometime later, like maybe days later, oh, right. It's the doorbell melody. It's the doorbell. Yeah. Ding. I did that in a song recently. I did. I wrote a song Kudos. about being anxious at a house party. Oh, and nice. the motif in the song is it, there's a synth that goes like doom, doom. And then right. kind of keeps going down in key like you know uh-huh. to to show that anxiousness of when you show up to this party or you don't want to go to and you press the doorbell uh-huh. you know <laughs> right yeah. see me and Linnell we're like peas in a I've never experienced that I'm a party animal <laughs> Dave is a party animal it's trying to stop me um, I won't try to So yeah, it, you said you you really love the larger than yeah. life single, maybe more than some fans. Might. I was less frustrated because I got to accomplish what I wanted production wise. Like in what sense? Oh, the sounds. I was much more on top of it. The thing about uh, World's Address because we can't really leave that song. No, we're, we're still we're, stuck talking yeah. about it. <laughs> That was like my first major experience in a MIDI studio. I was the tape loop guy. Yeah. And while everyone peeled off and said, no, no, we got samplers and drum machines, my feeling was, no, my reel-to-reel and my splicing sounds better than your 12-bit sampler. Hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm sticking to this. This is great. This is hi-fi. Yeah. These things sound dorky. And MIDI? Yeah, what's that? Mm-hmm. And But then eventually the, the samplers came out that were 16-bit. Yeah. And then I realized, yeah. oh, this is taking over. And then someone said to me, there's going to be recording studios that are entirely in the computer. You're not going to get up out of your chair. And I thought like, eh, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. But they were right. So I had to make this transition. And it was kind of a rough transition for me. And that remix was like my baptism in that, in that thing. And But afterwards... You know, I put my own record out on Atlantic. I had more multi-track, big studio experience. What was I, the record called? It was called Jimmy Because, and it was on Atlantic. Oh, okay. My name is Minnie because my name is Minnie. My name is Timmy because my name is Timmy. My name is Timmy because 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 my name is and it was co-produced by Arif Martin and Joe Martin, okay. father and son team. And Arif is the producer who did I Feel For You. Yeah, yeah. And there's a picture. Flansburg did this promo magazine that was like a fake highfalutin art journal called Art in Context. I've heard about that. I've read I about that. I may have a copy. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I was so and it has a interested of, in that. It has a picture of me in it. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, it says Joshua, rock's genius. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! If you have a copy, that'd be a, I would love I really to see should. that. Really, and that's a picture of me in Arif Martin's office with a giant gold record on the wall, like much bigger <laughs> than a regular record, like yeah. some super record. So I was learning the MIDI ropes and working in Flansburg's studio, 
and trying to figure all this stuff out. With Larger Than Life, I did the mix in a full-size recording studio, I think with an engineer that I liked, and I was much more in control, and the groove sounded much better. It's fully hi-fi, mm. and I loved working with these rappers, Sensi yeah, and Miss Linda. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know anything about them. If, if anything, you want to tell us about them. Yeah, how did you, how did you know them? Or, or I didn't know them. I first asked for Sister Carol, who's a major reggae rapper or toaster, um, and she kind of dissed me, like wouldn't <laughs> give me the time of day, but I think it might have been through her. She was like, okay, well, you can try Sensi and Miss Linda. They're really fun to work with. Did they create all the stuff they, they do? They wrote in their raps. That's all. Yeah. That, that's all. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. I always wanted. And to I that. coached them and and worked worked with them. But then they came up with it because I wanted the patois. I wanted to be. Hmm. Yeah. I wanted to be, be genuine. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did they know anything about they might be giants in particular? Or? No, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> Just curious. But it's, then they incorporated they might be giants. I know. Why, yeah, that's, that's why, why it's always yeah. been an interesting song. <laughs> it's it's a strange colliding of of worlds. Like we talked about, like a lot of the they might be giants fan world is is fairly dorky and and not super in in the groove of right insular. and so so to to combine that it's 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 almost like jarring for fans <laughs> well sure and as I, was um the world's address yeah but, but maybe even, that was more successful even more, more of them. so though yeah i mean i remember as when mm -hmm. you know it's literally the only reggae thing I owned is the, <laughs> is the I Palindrome my CD single. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. uh, and it's not from any like I, it's just like the stuff I bought was all this like I said all this like you know like XTC mm -hmm. and, and I love the Smiths and all that stuff and very pop you know pop rock oriented stuff. Right. Sure. So but but I I do I like that though. I mean I like that it's like when you like a band and then there's a collaboration with different people and. You know, it, it leads to you discovering music that you would never have <laughs> tried, right. tried to. Which was that yeah. part of the intention there? You think? Were, like, were you aware that you were exposing a lot of they might be Giants fans maybe to like music genres they didn't really listen to? Or? I think I was aware, but that was just a byproduct of me wanting to lay my shit down. Yeah, you know. I, I found out somewhat later that I was really violating the reggae rule book because you don't introduce with the bass line. You introduce with the drums. Then the <laughs> bass comes in, with, and that's a big moment. Hmm. Okay. You just don't do it the other way around. Interesting. And I think, actually, maybe someone corrected me before it came out, before I finished, but I, I just knew, no, this is how I hear it. This is how <laughs> it's got to be. Hmm. The introduction with that, Dude, with that yeah. bass line. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I had it, part of the idea was to have the the baseline imply a completely different key. Yes. From okay. what, what the song is in. Yeah. Which you would sometimes find in reggae remixes and in mm -hmm. dub reggae, and you'd sort of wonder, like, do they mean that, or are they just like don't don't know what they're doing? Is that intentional? And I had, <laughs> you know, how the baseline kind of goes back to the tonic, boom, da da da, -da and then it mm -hmm. goes boom, da da da, -da bum bum. Or something like that. I don't that. know if I've listened to that as close. Okay, as, but um, but at the end of each verse, 
it sort of resolves. Okay. And I didn't have that in there. I was hammering away on this, th implying this other key and having this weird harmonic tension. And Flansburg says, no, you got to give me, you got to uh -huh. turn it around and bring it back to the actual key at least once per, okay. per verse. And I said, okay. That's an interesting point. Like, how much was he like over your shoulder for that kind of for that song, or for even the world's address one? Like, is, was it just that he'd he'd have to approve it, right? Because it's going on something with his um, his name on it. Yeah, but in both cases, I got what I wanted. Yeah, yeah. and he pushed me musically, and I I, th I think it was right. Well, I, I don't know how it would have been if I hadn't done that. Mm -hmm. um, if I just stuck to that same bass line that you had, that where the tension got, yeah. you know, was really in your in your in your ear in your face. Yeah, and that that song. I mean, it is interesting when it goes from the the reggae to then the she's actual size mm -hmm. song coming in. It's like it it does. I do think it works as a uh -huh. as a whole. The ground opens wide, light beams down from heaven. She stands before my eyes. She's actual size, but she seems much bigger to me. Squares may look distant in her rearview mirror, but they're actual size as she drives away. Because as a They Might Be Giants fan, you're so used to the other mm -hmm. version. And especially if you're like a fan like I was, like listening mm -hmm. to it a billion times and then hearing the, right. this other context, you're you have to do a lot of mental work to be like to accept it as almost like as this new thing. But that or is as, interesting. Not to cut you off, but that is interesting do. because <laughs> because then you, re, I mean, we said this before. It does kind of make you examine those individual parts when they come back in mm. and give you a new appreciation for them. Yeah. Maybe it's not in uh, Spotify. No, it's pretty rare. The Larger Than Life one? Mm -hmm. It's more rare than Miscellaneous T. Oh, yeah. Well, they never compiled the um, Electra B-sides. Oh, that's that interesting. That's why that stuff is super rare. I mean, for fans, it's not too rare because we all find everything and share everything. But for maybe a more casual fan, it might be like... They wouldn't come across I didn't even it. know there was these like dozen songs that were never you know, on anything. Right. Um, right. So that, that, that I think that was part of my theory of why fans don't know it as much because it's... Oh, okay. That's like, curious. I, it took me a long time to find that CD. Like I looked everywhere. Yeah. I went to all the stores in St. Mark's Place, you know, all the different record stores and I finally found it, which was very exciting. I but, think that's one EP I actually don't have. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a rare one. Hmm. Whereas Miscellaneous T is like widely available, and then they re-released that on then the earlier years, you know. That has all right. of Miscellaneous T. Yeah, yeah, so that has your, and your remix on it. Yeah. And oh, then is like a boxed set. It's a two disc, double disc, two double oh, okay. disc set of all the '80s with artwork stuff. by Tony Millionaire. Mm -hmm. Oh with right, great artwork. By so, Tony so they put out your <laughs> the World's Address remix multiple times, really. Right. Whereas right. Larger Than Life was put out once and kind of hidden away on this one CD that most people can't find anywhere. It came out on the British uh, vinyl 12-inch of the song, The Guitar. Mm. So it's on vinyl. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Which you're in the video for. Oh, we should talk <laughs> now, about how that. that. No, how, oh my God, how, I didn't even put that in my How do notes. people know that? 
Oh, it's I'm in the wiki um, as being yeah. on that, right? I think fans for a while were trying to identify who the people in that video are because <laughs> right. a lot of them are collaborators of the band. <laughs> and there's also the, it, there's they did commentary on the DVD. Oh, and okay. there's a part where they say, oh, that's this, that's that. They might say that. I don't remember if they say that. Uh-huh. But uh, they go like, oh, that's our friend this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just know it from the, the Yeah, from the wiki. Mo- Largely, yeah. What was that? Homework. We can well now we're in like '92. So what was what was that video shoot yeah, like? Do you have it any was in the neighborhood. It was in like the Polish National Home or something near here. Mm-hmm. And we were just told what to do. I wore a wig. People thought that was funny. <laughs> oh. And they didn't want me. They didn't want us to open our mouths. They wanted us to grin, but not yeah. with our mouths open. I think. Well, so in the video, it's there's like a zombie-like quality to the people playing guitar where it's like almost like a joke where like no one looks like they're having fun playing the guitar, even though the song itself is a very celebratory kind of more, almost like the World's Address remix where it's it's almost more of a groove kind of song where you Mm -hmm. can just dance to it. But the video is (laughs) no, everyone looks kind of messed up and kind of <laughs> right. out of it. We're all sort of ghouls or demons or something. Yeah, yeah so is yeah, that yeah. something Flans, because Flansburg directed it, uh, is that something he like expressed to you pe- to you guys? or? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think he said you're all zombies or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it is But that was before the zombie genre got so big, so oh, yeah. I think we didn't maybe we didn't have to... Now. We didn't have to <laughs> adhere to the zombie conventions. There's one dude in the video who's like, he's wearing a... He looks like a corpse because he's wearing like, looks like a dusty suit. And uh-huh. he's kind of going like, and his head's bobbing <laughs> like his, you know, and it, right. it is like a weirdly creepy moment. And it's, it is a juxtaposition to the song, which is like, you know, not one of their more like death obsessed songs. <laughs> so I like that even when they do a music video for a song that's not about death, like it, it comes, <laughs> the imagery comes through. Right. Perfect. Yeah. Was that like a long shoot, like a long day? or? Uh, I don't even think it was a whole day, but yeah, it was a few wow. hours at least. And yeah. it was in the neighborhood. And mm-hmm. I remember I met this guy named Ant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the end. That's it. <laughs> that's it. I, he was a very intense kind of punky guy. Okay. Ant. Ant. Maybe that's what Ant is about. That guy. Ding, ding, yeah. Ding. Yeah. Is there anything else about Larger Than Life that um, you would want people to know about something about the collage of it or the creation of it? In the mix, at the beginning of it, there's this, oh, I kind of want to play it. There's this sort of vocal fanfare. So that's the Pink Panther horn (laughs) blast at the end of the... I should probably shouldn't say that. It's a oh, horn thing oh. that I found on a sample library that I licensed <laughs> that sounds a lot yeah, like exactly. the end of the Pink it's Panther theme. Distinct from the Pink Panther theme. And then yeah. there's this <laughs> then there's this body falling down sound. Oh my god. And when I when I had that going, I had a mono sample of it and Flansburg just loved it. He was like he loved the fact that it went he blasted and there was like the, he, I remember yeah. he was like he was like dancing to it. What was the source of that? That was a sound effects okay, thing just, okay. that I purchased and licensed. <laughs> and then when I had it in stereo for the final mix, he said it doesn't have the same quality. It's not funny anymore. Oh wow. I kept oh, that's it. so interesting. He might have been right, but I kept it. <laughs> um wow. But then when the women co- co- come on... Yeah. And it has the jazz feel of she's actual size, but then there's that... <laughs> totally changes. Mm. I always like... They really do sound like they're having a really good time. <laughs> it is kind of like... Yeah. So that vocal intro um, was edited and then time compressed. 
Um, but maybe it's mostly the edits. And I remember the engineer and maybe someone else in the studio was saying, that's going to sound so unnatural. You're losing hmm. the feel. Uh. It's just awful. Like, you don't understand. So you just, like, you're, squeezed you're, it a little. Yeah. And then afterwards, we were like, it's great. It, it didn't. And I, I still like it. It just sounds like they're just totally hot. They're introducing yeah. uh, Sensi and Miss Linda with They Might Be Giants. And yeah. it just works. And the point of the, the snare was to be as small as possible because it's about lar- uh, oh, sure. she's actual size, larger mm. than life. Yeah. She seems much bigger. And I thought it was the teeny tiniest oh, snare. Oh, that's so funny. Like a, like a little microscopic little mm-hmm. drum that you would tap on. She's got all the money money couldn't buy. She's got something special that someone left behind. Yeah, it was Rod Way. I, I, he's credited on the on the record, H-E-Y, but pronounced Way, who engineered it. Oh, okay. Who was an engineer that I worked with uh, when I worked with the, Ma- the Martins when we did um, My Single on Atlantic. And he worked for, uh, he did a lot of really seminal dance records hmm. in the 80s. Really good engineer. He hard panned the that penny whistle sample at the end, that funny whistly okay. noodly, some somewhat like a pop riff, but it's a little more noodly than that. He said, Look, we'll have them bounce from track to track. Hard panned, it'll mm-hmm. work, it'll be okay. Right. Did you guys enjoy that interview? I know I did. That's who I was talking to you. <laughs> There's two of me. <laughs> Your guys. Uh, that was part one of the interview with Joshua Freed. Wow. There were some exclusive tidbits. Some, there is. Some bits, some tids, some bits that titted. And uh, <laughs> Dave just rolled his eyes. And we are going to see you next time. Before we go, we wanted to tell you Joshua Freed's main hub, his website is radiowonderland.com and you can see all the stuff and you're going to hear him talk all about that stuff in part two and uh the bulk of of the interview is going to be about something very exciting for they might be giants fans which is what dave oh boy folks we're going to be talking about hello the band the hello the band ep yeah hello the band is an ep that he made with john Flansburg, and uh, we will tell you more about that in the next one, and then you're going to hear more about that than you thought you'd ever hear in your entire lives. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about one of Jordan and I's personal favorite songs. Personal favorite songs. Is, uh, <laughs> Lullaby to Nightmares. That's right. That was a fun uh, little little convo. That was... <laughs> convo... So we will see you next time. Th- that episode will be out fairly soon because it's almost all ready, <laughs> right? Uh, and then maybe we'll have more interviews in the future. Maybe I'll interview Dave. I- I'd like to get yeah. his thoughts on a few things. Yeah, I'd like to really get inside my brain. Yeah, I think we need to crack that nut open. Uh, coconut, he's crazy in the coconut. You know that song? That's a funny song. Uh, anyway, see you guys tomorrow <laughs> or whenever. Bye. Goodbye. Eh, eh, eh.